And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. That's right. It's Wednesday. And uh, that also means that Danny Ratliff joins me this morning. We're talking about... Should you borrow from your 401k plan and some other hot topics this morning? So a lot of stuff to get into with him once he gets here. Um, but, you know, yesterday markets kind of rallied here a little bit again and uh, did okay holding above that 50-day moving average. So, you know, we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Um, this morning futures are basically flat. Um, and again, just kind of as I talked about the other day, we've had the longest stretch of win streaks for the S&P 500 seven days. That's the longest since 2021, believe it or not. So it's it's been a very sharp rally. Uh, so expect a, a bit of a kind of consolidation here. Um, you know, economic data is still going to be kind of ruling the roost here as we get through end of the year. Certainly seeing some weakness, uh, you know, in some of that data um, just as of late. Bank lending standards continue to be pretty tight. Um, credit card delinquencies now on the rise in both auto loans as well as credit cards. Now, they're not at, at, at high levels yet. Now, they're heading that way. But at the moment, they are certainly increasing. And that's something, to, you know, kind of worth paying attention to. That's, you know, that's that kind of pre-recessionary data that we've been talking about. You know, I've, I've kind of mentioned here on the show that, you know, going out to eat has gotten very expensive. Um, basically, doing anything has become, you know, extremely expensive. And, you know, for people that are already kind of struggling to make ends meet, well, that becomes, you know, a, a bigger challenge when prices go up, but incomes don't keep up with that. So we're seeing continued increases in credit card spending, credit card debt. Uh, now we're starting to see the, the result of that, which is now delinquencies. I can't make the minimum payment because interest rates on credit cards are now at all time highs. So again, it's, it's required that minimum payment um, is going up, which is weighing on consumers' ability to consume, you know, in that bottom kind of 90% of the economy. Now, you know, if you're in the top 10% of income earners, probably not worrying a whole lot. Um, but still doesn't mean that you don't notice that things are getting really expensive and have, have remained that way. Um, but outside of that, we are starting to see the impact of this kind of economic weight that is occurring from that. And we're seeing slower demand in areas of the economy where you would expect things to certainly kind of show up, um, you know, kind of on that front. And, and, you know, as we've talked about before, the dollar plays an important role in this as the dollar is a function of imports and exports. So if the dollar gets more expensive, uh, that makes the cost of buying things from overseas more expensive. And of course, we've had, you know, this very strong rise in the dollar. Now, this is interesting, of course, and uh, we were talking about this yesterday during our investment policy committee. Um, you know, we had this huge decline um, in the dollar um, starting in about late 2022 and into 2023. We had this big decline. And this is where all the angst was about de-dollarization and nobody wants a dollar. And, you know, we, we told you then to be, be very careful with that narrative because that's not the case at all, uh, considering that dollar still makes up about 70% of the world's transactions. Um, and since then, of course, uh, this was kind of, you know, this last little fall off here in the dollar was that kind of that moment of that whole de-dollarization de scare and if you go to our website and just type in de-dollarization in the search bar, you'll get lots of articles on this and why that was not the case. Uh, since then, it's been a very strong rally in the dollar. 
Uh, we are starting to see a little bit of weakness here. Not surprising. Dollar's been on a sell signal from a very elevated level. Uh, could see the dollar pull back here a bit more uh, to around 104 on the index. Now that's going to that's going to weigh on other areas of the economy as well. And you know, one of those is oil prices. And, and we've talked about this previously. Is that you know, oil is a byproduct of economic activity. And so we're and, and after we had this very strong rise in oil prices again back over here. Um, remember, these were the, the conversations that we were hearing. He's like, oh, doll, you know, oil's going to $150 a barrel. We're like, no, that's probably not the case. Uh, and since then, we've gone from about $96 a barrel back down to $76 a barrel as of yesterday. Um, this is kind of that normal uh, kind of symmetric, you know, outcome of what's happening within the economy. We're seeing slower economic activity. We're seeing slower demand in certain areas that is ultimately going to weigh on oil prices, particularly as we move into the end of the year. So, uh, you know, again, the, the point is always, and we talked about this uh, yesterday at length, is be careful with narratives. Narratives will get you into trouble more often than not. Uh, back around this peak in September, October, we talked about reducing energy exposure and, and taking advantage of that run up in oil prices because it wasn't sustainable. Uh, that's been a good play to be. Um, let's talk a little bit about the market. So here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Uh, yesterday, as I said, the market rallied and stayed above that 50 day moving average. We tested it. Uh, bounced off of it. We're now currently kind of trapped between the 50-day and the 100-day moving average. So again, you know, there's, there's some risk to the upside here at the moment. We've gone very far, very quickly. We've gotten overbought on a short-term basis, um, still on a buy signal from a very depressed level. So again, there's probably more upside to go here in the markets, at least over the course of the next couple of weeks. But heading into next week, we are now getting to that pre-Thanksgiving kind of period, which tends to be a little bit weaker for the market. So expect this market to kind of consolidate here, maybe pull back a bit. Um, wouldn't be surprising. We could even potentially take out the 50-day moving average because we're sitting right on top of it right now. Um, but as long as we hold above this 200-day moving average and the 20-day, there's going to be some, some really good support there. Now, post-Thanksgiving, now we'll talk about kind of how this is going to play out over the course of the next month or so. Um, so expect a little bit of weakness here maybe over the course of the next couple of weeks uh, heading into Thanksgiving. Post-Thanksgiving, markets tend to do better as we, get, as we head into December. So as we get into December, um, wouldn't be surprising here to see the markets rally a bit. Markets always rally into my wife's birthday on the 1st of December. It's just, just you know, the markets just, you know, honor her that way. Um, but now, once we get to the first couple of weeks of December, mutual funds have to make their distributions. And that's where they have to distribute their capital gains, interest, and dividends for the year. We talked a, bit, a little bit about this yesterday. So kind of expect some typical kind of seasonal weakness in the first couple of weeks of December. Then as we start to move into the end of December and heading into the beginning of 2024, uh, that's where you get your traditional kind of Santa Claus rally. And, and that's where we're going to kind of probably end the year. So again, you know, kind of finishing the year somewhere around 4,500 would not be surprising. Now, again, you know, whether we get this exact price action or not, who knows. But that's normally kind of how the seasonal tendencies work this time of the year because there's some pressures on the, the market itself because of distributions in the first couple of weeks of December. And then you've got all those mutual funds that have to rebalance their portfolio going into the end of the year, do window dressing to make sure they have all the right stocks and the right balances on their portfolio. So that's why you always kind of typically get that end of the year push 
Then, of course, the first five days of January, you get a lot of uh, positions put on the table. You have uh, end of the year contributions that are getting, you know, for IRAs and SEPs and those type of things all getting put, you know, kind of put on the books in January. So that's why the first five days of January tend to be uh, statistically stronger days of the year. Now, once we get past that, I really don't have any idea uh, kind of how the market's going to work because of so many other pressures, economically speaking, that are laying out there right now. But again, you know, the, the, the course of the markets over the next, you know, couple of weeks to the next month or so is, is, is most likely going to be somewhere within this range. Again, you know, there's, there's enough buying power that's sitting out there from buybacks to basically just investors wanting to be in the markets and then a lot of performance chasing by professional managers to kind of play catch up with the market through the end of the year that we should see support, support here for the markets. But again, we've had a very big run very quickly. Take some profits, rebalance some risk. Don't get overly negative right now uh, as the market seasonality is still working in your favor. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff and talk about why or should you borrow against your 401k plan. We'll talk about that next right here on The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show today. This morning, uh, it's Wednesday, getting ready to head into uh, Thanksgiving holidays right around the corner of uh, Monday, Veterans Day. So remember the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day, very important, right? And you'd be surprised how many people don't know this. Memorial Day, we celebrate the fallen. Veterans Day, we celebrate and honor our living veterans. So that's why it's called Veterans Day. So you see a veteran next Monday, shake their hand, thank them for their service and their sacrifices. Um, so a couple of things, um, you know, as we kind of look forward, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, the economy's getting tougher and, you know, people are having a tougher time making ends meet. As I, as I was talking about a minute ago, credit card, you know, debt is on the rise. Credit card interest payments are becoming a bigger chunk. We're seeing now credit card delinquencies going up. And, you know, when you get under financial stress, this is where people start kind of looking for, you know, sources of capital uh, to try to make ends meet or, you know, to do whatever they want to do. And, and one of those has been turning to their 401k plan to take out a loan from their 401k plan. And, you know, the question is, is, you know, is it a good idea to do that? Uh, and, you know, people will tell you, it's like, oh, well, I can borrow interest free from myself or it's a very low rate of interest and I'm paying myself back. And there's, you know, there, there's lots of, of support for borrowing against your 401k plan. But is it a good idea? And, and should you? And uh, Danny's a big proponent of taking everything out of his 401k and spending it on, you know, you know, gerbils and things like that. So gerbils, um, <laughs> that's the best you could come up with. Troll Man. dolls. OK. <laughs> OK, Richard. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I was confused. I thought he was here, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, Rich. Uh, Love but, you, man. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, just joking. Um, but Danny, you know, you know, this is something we see in, in times of stress. A lot of people kind of turn to borrowing against their 401k plans. And, you know, you know, what do you, let me, before I interject my opinion on it, what do you think about it? Well, maybe let's talk about a little bit about how we got here, right? I mean, yeah. 401ks, there's, there's a lot of 
options for leakage within retirement plans. There's a lot of ways that we can take funds out. We are not proponents of taking funds out of retirement plans. And, and the reason being is that we are basically, you know, you, you kind of bankrupt your future when we start taking those funds for needs today versus saving for tomorrow. And, you know, number one, you, you just mentioned it, credit card debt, all-time highs. Right. New report just came out. Um, New York Fed said, you know, $1.08 trillion in credit card debt. Um, we are now also seeing a rise in delinquencies, people not paying their credit card balances. And guess what? Guess who's the biggest proponent right now? Actually, all demographics um, are having or struggling at the moment right. with this. But who's number one? Millennials aged 30 to 39 are having the hardest time paying back credit cards, mm -hmm. making their payments. And why is that? Student loan debt. Right. Just had to be uh, start being paid again. So, you know, we're also seeing that the um, interest is over 20%, also an all-time high for credit card debt. So now we've had this higher inflation. We have issues. And people are looking. They're wondering, like, where do I go? What do I do? I'm just trying to make my ends meet. Um, higher interest, higher inflation has hurt the average consumer. And so credit card debt is is rising. And this is typically problematic. And we do see this. You see, you know, somebody mentioned on the YouTube channel just a minute ago, recession clouds are building. This is certainly one that, you know, advocates saying, hey, well, anytime we have debt, we're just taking from further consumption in the future. Right. And, you know, I sent you an article earlier, I think on Monday, uh, talking about I this new thing you sent. I don't know. Okay. So I'm anyway, I, I sent you an article. Um, but to, to your point, though, millennials are now uh, starting this new thing called a it's actually Gen Zers. It's not millennials, but Gen Z are starting this new trend called soft saving, yep. which is, you know, they they're living for the moment now and they're going to they're, they're not even worrying about retirement now. It's just like, you know, well, if I get to retire, great. If not, you know, fine. You know, that's a that's a that's a very short sighted decision, you know, for instant gratification. But, you know, we're, we're seeing this across the board. Um, and particularly this this article is a good article about, you know, is it a good idea to borrow from your 401k plan? Because you see that that demand for 401k loans really ramp up when you're heading into a recession. That's right. right? Well, and so so people begin to think, okay, well, how can I better pay for this credit card debt? Or I'm, you know, that soft saving, which is really not saving at all for the <laughs> most part. And, you know, we talked about this a couple months ago. Right. There's an article out of, um, I think it was Argentina. And, you know, their inflation has been rampant. And they, they went and surveyed people on the street and they said, well, what are you doing? They said, well, listen, we've been locked up. We've got, you know, it was that YOLO mentality that was only confined to the really young generations. Now was kind of everybody. They're like, look, we're going to go out. We're going to go to nice restaurants. We're going to eat. We don't know when we're going to have something happen again. And you know what? We'll figure it out down the road, which means they won't figure it out. They're going to be waiting on somebody to bail them out, unfortunately. And that's the problem with this soft saving. So with 401ks, you can take distribution. You can take if your plan allows it, a loan against it. But here's the problem. And everybody says, well, I'm paying myself back. Well, that's right. You're paying yourself back. But you should be paying yourself back in other ways. You should be cutting expenses. We should be looking at this in, in, in other terms. And so- but can, you, I, can, I can I interrupt you yeah. real quick? Because it's a, it's a very important point, right? This is some people that say this is they go, I'm going to borrow from a 401k plan. Hey, I'm just paying myself back. The problem is, is you're paying yourself back with after-tax dollars. So when you're when you start making your 401k loan payment, so when you when you make your 401k contribution, right, that's part of your you know pre-tax withdrawal. Assuming it's a, a regular 401k plan and not a Roth, but if you pay yourself back, if you okay, I'm going to pay off that loan, it's with after-tax dollars. So you actually get a double tax whammy doing that. Hmm. So anyway, keep going. 
Keep okay. going. So, so you know, the problem is that you can typically take up to 50% of your balance in, in the form of a, a loan. You have to pay that back. Generally, the time frame is within a five-year period. Um, now, there may be other parameters within the policy. Um, now, there's typically a most plans only allow up to $50,000 from a, for a distribution. Um, and that's just on average. Some plans don't allow you to do it all from a withdrawal perspective. So you do have to be cautious here. Now, if you're thinking about leaving your job, here's a big negative. If you don't pay that back by the time you file your tax return, all of that loan becomes taxable. If you're under 59 and a half, you also have a penalty. So not to mention if you get fired. Well, I mean, that, that's if you're gone, right? So <laughs> now you've got to come up with this cash to pay it back or you're going to have a huge tax bill. And the other caveat to that is that you're not going to be able to put these funds back into that retirement account. It's just going to be taxable with whatever you've done with it. So, um, you know, you, you lose some of that tax deferral or, um, you know, which is, I think, a big deal. Now, there's a lot of other options. I mean, here's one we just kind of talked about. Uh, what if you have debt? Why, why are people taking this in general? You know, they're taking this because they've got other issues. Maybe they've got credit card balances that have, that have gone up substantially. And they say, well, listen, I can pay this. And generally, it's at prime rate, which is currently 8.5%, um, plus 1%, maybe 2%. So maybe you're at 10.5%. And, and so... You say, well, look, this is way better than what I have on this credit card balance. Well, that credit card balance, you're paying interest only. The other ones, you're not. And, and I don't advocate for that either. Mm-hmm. What I, mean, I, would, I would suggest we need to take a pretty deep dive into what your, your expenses look like and see where we can cut. And maybe that's not, just not the case. I mean, we hear from people all the time say, listen, we are just living paycheck to paycheck. We've got to find a way to decrease our, our expenses. But you may find out that that loan payment is actually more than what you're paying on that credit card debt. Um, you know, and so you got to be cautious here. But I think another thing you could do is what if you went out and found a balance transfer, uh, a credit card that allow you a 0% balance transfer for 12 or 18 months, maybe 24 months if you're really lucky, and play the game where you say, hey, I'm going to move it from here. I'll transfer to a new credit card. Make sure you're always making your payments. And then you get that 0%. So now your funds, your, your payments are actually going towards paying down that credit card instead of just having the, that interest paid or continue to build. That, I think, is a, is a game that's not played often enough, Lance, because I think it's, it's, it's difficult to do. Um, if we don't do it early enough and we're seeing more stringent lending policies, you may not be able to do it. Yep. You know, If you've got bad credit, it may be really difficult for you to go set up a new one and get that 0%. But there's other ways to, to go about this, and I think that's one. I am not a fan of taking from any retirement accounts unless you absolutely have to. Well, yeah, it's, uh, look, honestly, I don't think they should allow it. Because, look, I mean, the, I agree. Whole, the, the whole the, and here's, here's why I know it kind of sounds cruel. It's like, well, it's my money. I should be able to get access to it. For a large chunk of Americans, like 80% of Americans, and we talk about the financial situation of most Americans, the 401k plan is all they have saved up for retirement. There is no outside savings. Well, that's right. And, 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 and there is no other. Uh, you know, and so they take money out of that, and now they've got nothing saved up for retirement. Well, I don't like the ability to take for first-time home buying. I don't like all yeah, the, the I mean, hardship withdrawals on most of these yeah, no, because it doesn't incentivize us to save money Correct. on the sidelines. And so there's many times when somebody's starting off, we say, hey, let's build that emergency funds. Now, I want you to contribute to the 401k and get your match. We don't want to leave any money on the table. But let's build up that emergency fund first and then go back to that. Where you hear a lot of these planners say, oh, no, it's got to be retirement, retirement, retirement. Well, if you have nothing over here and something does happen, 
Hey, you're really screwed. Yeah, that's the only place you have to go. And so I think you, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't have a hierarchy of savings. You're not planting those seeds to, for growth in the future and also for protection. And so, you know, that's the biggest problem I think we have is that we have this mindset that we have to fund this retirement. But if that's all we have and we have hard times, that's the only place we can go. And then that's where you get dinged in other ways. You take the loan out, you get fired, you leave your job. You know, though that full balance of that loan is now taxable, plus potentially penalized if you're under 59 and a half. So there's a lot of moving parts here, but the best thing you can do is pay yourself first, put those funds aside, emergency funds, understand where you're getting matches, go to that next, go back to the savings. And then from there, as you continue to create these good habits, Start maxing it out. Hey, Put as much aside as you can. You know what's a really good habit to start? Is before you charge something on a credit card. Don't do it. Yeah, well, just say, well, wait. if you can't afford to pay for it in cash, do you really need it? No, that's true. We have a rule in our house is that if we have anything over a certain dollar amount, you wait. You have to wait a week. Yep. And, you know, do you really if, need it? If you really need I find many I, times I had, we do not need what we think I, we need. I had to buy something yesterday I really needed because I broke my wife's pepper grinder. I had to order one from Amazon, have it express ship. Like it was like, it. you can have this between <laughs> 4 and 8 a.m. You're yeah. like, yes, please. Yeah, and it got there just in the nick of time before she got home. <laughs> so so there, there are times of need, okay? <laughs> yeah, that was a need. <laughs> that's where you're cracking that, the glass in the emergency. Exactly, yeah. that was self-preservation for that pepper grinder. Anyway, all right, be right back after the break. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com just want to wrap up this conversation on this uh should you take a 401k plan loan and the answer is no you shouldn't i thought this was interesting uh studies have shown that 86 percent of individuals who have an outstanding loan when they leave their employer for a new job wind up defaulting on their loan. The defaulted balance becomes subject to state and federal taxes and possible state and federal early withdrawal penalties. Um, studies also indicate that participants under 30 who experience a loan default, which is treated as a hardship withdrawal for tax purposes, end up reducing their financial retirement balance by an average of 20%. So, yeah, don't do it. Just leave it alone. You know, And first of all, you know, and lastly, just, Danny, if you take money out of your 401k plan, you have less money growing for you. No, that's right. And you make a good point on paying it back with after-tax dollars. I mean, that's yeah. another caveat that I don't think most people realize. So, yeah, there's there's a lot of cons with this. I don't see really any pros unless it's just a you're in dire straits. You have to have the funds. Um, so I would highly, highly, you know, uh, recommend not doing yeah. that. I don't recommend anything on this show, but I would say do not. <laughs> do not <laughs> do that. I mean, if you can avoid it, just do it. I mean, you know, I know life's hard. I know things happen. Um, but if you can start putting those other measures in place, hopefully you won't have to get to that point. Yeah. Well, again, this is why we talk about having an emergency fund, having six months worth of salary saved up in the bank. But, it, you know, but again, if you're in the soft saving mode, you know, you're not going to have that six months worth of emergency savings. And I'm, I'm actually writing an update to an article that I wrote back in 20. 18, 2019 on the fire movement. Remember that yeah. whole movement that was going around? Financial dependence, go? retire early. It went up in flames. <laughs> 
and we've gone from fire, which was everybody's being super frugal. They were saving up a couple hundred grand and then investing it in the market because the markets were generating eight, nine, 10, 11% a year, living on the interest, you know, getting in their van down by the ocean and, you know, living the life. Um, and we said then that that wasn't going to work out well as soon as you had a big market downturn. Well, it happened. Here we go. And now we're into soft saving mode, which is, well, that didn't work. So now I'm just not going to save it all. We can do a happy medium, right? You can save a little bit and, you know, grow your money and plan for retirement. Well, and I, and I feel sorry for those people in the sense, I mean, I know they had to be extremely frustrated. I think the average investor is frustrated with these markets as far as how they've been over the last two years. But even going back further than that, we talked about, you know, how, you know, it's been a choppy time over the last yeah. four or five years in the sense yeah. that you get a good year, you get a bad year, you get a, just a ho-hum year. Um, and I think that, you know, right now it is it is difficult. But I do see, and I, and I think you agree, you see a lot yeah. of opportunity out there still yet in spite of what is going on. Um, you know, there's some areas we, we favor or like maybe yeah. more than others, but we also need to play the trends. And I think that's difficult for most well, with so much information out there. Well, and it's been really tough this year, too, because, again, you know, outside of just a handful of stocks, the market really hasn't done much. Yeah. Small cap, mid caps haven't worked. Uh, bonds haven't worked. Uh, you know, gold is basically flat over the last year. It hasn't really gone anywhere. So, I mean, it really doesn't matter where you had money. It, you know, outside of seven, 10 stocks, the market really hasn't done a whole lot. Yeah. Market breadth was a little bit better the last week or so. Yesterday was pretty poor. Yeah. And, you know, and again, but, map, you know, we're see, was, but we're seeing that money just go back into Microsoft, Apple, Google, you know, yesterday, that was a you know, kind of a good point of that. Um, but anyway, this is something that kind of leads us to our next topic anyway, which is why Warren Buffett has done more to educate investors than any other corporate executive. I thought this was interesting. You know, Warren Buffett regularly comes out and tells individuals like, oh, just buy an index fund. You can't manage your money. The best thing you can do is just buy an index fund and, you know, just keep dollar cost averaging into it. Which that's the best you're going to do over time. Which is always so funny to me that that's what he preaches because he has done the exact opposite <laughs> from that, right? I mean, the guy does his homework, understands fundamentals extremely well, mm -hmm. understands business dynamics, and that's how he's made his living. Yeah, but uh, but, but I think what he's saying is I think there's I think it's a two faced statement. Yeah. Uh, and this point is like he's really saying you're too stupid to manage money. Um, so just buy an index because that's the best you're going to do yeah. because you don't know how to do, you don't, you don't know how to buy fundamentals and you don't know how to hold on to things long enough to let them work for you. And he does. Well, but even that, so, so fundamentals, um, I was talking to Mike the other day and we were talking about some of the things that we were looking at. And he mentioned that, you know, our portfolio management team, you guys are working on a project and looking at fundamentals and you went to, you could go to three different independent sources. Mm-hmm. And these were independent, not like big conglomerate. And all the data was a little bit different. Right. So unless you're getting it directly from the source, for many people, it's difficult to do that analysis. Right. And a lot of people just don't know how to do it anyways. Yeah. Well, no, it's, it's a good good example of this is earnings, right? Just take the very basic thing of just corporate earnings and forward estimates. You know, if you, you know, if you want earnings estimates on the S&P 500, go to S&P, right? They're the ones that manage the index. So they, they produce their earnings and estimates for the S&P 500. But then you jump over to FactSet, you get a totally different set of numbers. So which, which number is right, right? Which number do you use? And, and FactSet's fact data is, is, you know, much more expanded in terms of optimism, <laughs> I should say, on earnings. Than even what S and P produces. So, but, but that's your point. Is is 
what do you use? There's, you know, different measures of valuation. Do you use forward or, or, or trailing valuations? Um, fundamentals, price to sales versus, you know, price to book or whatever it is. There's so many different things the average investor. And then we talked a little bit about this yesterday, Danny, on the show is that, you know, technical analysis, you got to understand just some basics of technical analysis. If you're going to manage your own portfolio, just understand what price movement is doing. And you got to understand basic fundamentals of what you're buying. Otherwise, you're just buying stuff that people recommend on TV or you're buying it because you're looking at a chart and it's going up, but you don't really understand why it's going up. You feel good about it. I mean, yeah. I've talked to people that buy something strictly for the dividend. Yeah. It's like, wait a second. That's a really high dividend. Why are they paying that that high? Yeah. Oh, well, it's because it's a great company. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not, <laughs> that's not why <laughs> wait a second. Dividend. Wait a second. And, and there are very good companies that pay nice dividends, but... Um, sometimes when we see something that looks a little too good to be true, we have to start thinking, okay, well, wow, that does, it looks really good. It feels really good. Maybe you've been invested in it and it's been fine, but they're paying that higher yield for a specific reason. That's to incentivize us to invest in their fund or their, their company. Yeah. But back to Warren Buffett real quick. Uh, you know, you know, every year, um, at the, you know, they have their big conference out in Omaha, Nebraska, and, you know, the, the disciples of Berkshire Hathaway all show up and, um, you know, and it's, and it's kind of a three day fest of financial information and galas and uh, other stuff. But, you know, again, this is where, and everybody reads the annual report and everybody parses through the annual report of, you know, what's he saying about the economy? What's he saying about the markets? And again, you know, there's, uh, we've talked about before, there's a very big difference between the way that Warren Buffett invests and the way that you invest. And the reason he's telling you to just buy an index is because you can't invest the way he does. Is, you know, he buys such a big chunk of the company that he can pick up the phone and call the the CEO of the company and say, hey, I don't really like what you're doing. (laughs) And they're going to listen to him. Yeah. Um, or he can replace, you know, he owns the whole company, right? So in, in a lot of cases, Geico is an example, and he puts the person in charge of the company that he wants to run the company his way. You don't get to invest that way. Well, right? he also, he's also negotiates deals. I mean, think exactly. about when he's bought specific companies, he may negotiate his own dividend. Correct. I uh, mean, Gold, when he bailed Goldman Sachs yeah. out during the financial crisis, got a 10% preferred. Yeah, which which you and I can't do. No. <laughs> I mean, none of us can do that. <laughs> no, but that's what helps when you have 157 billion in cash sitting around. And again, you know, it was interesting too, just talking about that. You know, he's been buying treasury bonds hand over fist yeah. because of the yield on bonds. And again, this is during a whole period where people are going, I don't want to own bonds because, you know, interest rates are going up and my bond prices are going down. Why do I own this? You don't care about that stuff. You, you buy it for the yield and the safety. And that's what, and he's got 157 billion in cash and that's what he's doing. So, this is what we talked about earlier. You got to be careful of narratives. You know, these short-term narratives you hear in the markets will really get you off track of your long-term financial game. You know, what happens in 12 months is irrelevant. What happens in 24 months is irrelevant to your long-term portfolio structure and what you're trying to do. Uh, you know, when Warren Buffett buys something, he has no time horizon. You know, he says, look, I'll own this company for the next 100 years. He won't be around 100 years. The company will be. And, more, and Berkshire Hathaway will be. And so his long he has a very long-term time horizon on his investments. And the problem for us as, as mere mortals is that our whole time horizon now exists between January 1st and December 31st. And if I'm not doing what I need to do, I have to make big changes in my portfolio and change everything in order to try to get better performance. But that doesn't work. Study after study after study shows that the average investor underperforms the markets over the long term because they're constantly changing everything in their portfolio all the time. 
Yeah, and I think that you know it, it goes to a bigger change. I mean, so we are active money managers in the sense that we we more have a buy, hold, monitor, sell type of strategy. But many people just rip the bandaid off and say, "Whoa, I'm getting out. I'm getting back yeah. in. I'm getting out." No. And, and usually at the meet, top, usually at the bottom, yeah. usually at the top. Well, it's emotional. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've visited with, and you know, especially husband and wife. And a lot of times they'll walk out of the office, or you know, they'll be like the husband will walk away, maybe on a Zoom, and the wife says, "Hey." He's never made any money. Like, what do you mean? Like, you guys have been super successful. Like, no, 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 we've done great in that, but never made any money in the markets. So, okay, well, you know, you start talking about it. And then they inevitably tell you the same thing. And they say, listen, I've just got, and usually it's I have bad timing. I've just got bad timing. I invest and the market goes down. I'm like, okay, well, let's let's take it slow. Here's how we we start to, to move into markets. But if the market inevitably goes down, they usually say, whoa, I got to get to cash or let's go buy something completely separate. And then they do that. And then the market eventually turns. And so you can't just have this all or nothing strategy where you're all the way in, all the way out, and you know you get whipsawed around, and that is extremely problematic for long-term returns. Um, you know, you hear that old saying, it, it's, it's time in the market, not timing the market. Mm-hmm. There is some truth to that to some extent, but for the most part, you've got to be cautious. And you, know, you talked about long-term returns. Not everybody has that time horizon. Yeah. We talk about the lost decade, 2000, if you invest in the S&P 500, did not take any distributions. How long did it take you to get back to even? 17 years. Yeah. So most people can't afford that, especially if we're in retirement and taking distributions. So you need to find some place you can mitigate risk. You can have a strategy, a discipline, and then still participate to the upside, I think is key. And that's one thing that Warren Buffett did mention. Yep. Um, or this article did. Absolutely. All right. Quick break. Come back. Get ready to wrap up the show with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. daily investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com Uh, Dow futures kind of pointing up now this morning. We were down a little bit uh, this morning. Um, Dow is now pointing up here a little bit. NASDAQ futures are flat. So, um, you know, again, you know, this market's had a very big run. We've had the longest, and, and, and this is such a dichotomy, right? Because just over the last couple of weeks, Danny's been here and we've been talking about the pressure on the markets and everybody's very bearish on the markets and, you know, the, the, you know, the, the bear market's back. And, and we kept saying, hey, look, market's super oversold here. Be careful. We've got seasonal tendencies coming up that, that tend to occur. And now you've had the longest stretch of back-to-back gains in the market since 2021. So things can change very fast in the markets, and they have. And now everybody's getting bullish again. Right. So this is why I was saying, you know, we talked a lot yesterday about narratives on the show. This is why you've got to be so very careful. You know, if you're watching some guy on YouTube somewhere, like some morning radio show, two guys, you got to be careful who you're listening to. Right. And because, you know, there's it's very easy to sell a narrative. You know, doom and gloom sells a lot. 
And if I want to, especially if I'm trying to, you know, sell gold or something like that, the 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 the, the, the gloomier and the doomier I am, the better it does for gold. Um, you know, but again, this is why you could be very careful. You know, we talked about opportunity costs by borrowing. You know, take money out of your 401k plan. You have less money working for you in the markets long term. You know, this is why it's important to be careful about narratives because things can change. Now, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I haven't been saying that we're set up for a new bull market and everything's fine. What we've been talking about is, is this market was getting very oversold, extremely negative. You know, biases were very bearish, and that's a great setup for a counter trend rally in the markets. And that's what we've had here. We just had a nice reflexive rally. Again, use this to kind of rebalance risk in your portfolio. We, uh, Mike and I were doing that on Monday. We reduced Apple because Apple can't grow um, earnings. We still own part of the company. I mean, we still have, we've owned Apple for a long time. We're going to continue to own Apple for a long time because of the passive index flows that occur into the top 10 stocks of the, of the S&P 500. So we'll continue to own it. But we've reduced that holding because they can't grow earnings, right? They, they can't grow revenue. They don't have a product that is going to be the next big game changer for them yet. Now they may, right? They may come up with VR or whatever it is and they'll dominate that space. And don't put it past Apple. Apple's been, <laughs> Apple's proven that over and over and over again. Um, but, you know, for right now, they've had a real tough time growing earnings over the last year and, and have, have really failed to, you know, provide that product that's going to be the next game changer for them. So, again, reducing that holding and then overweighting Microsoft and Google, which are growing earnings at double-digit paces. So, you know, that's the things that you can be doing in your portfolio right now to kind of get you in a better position um, going forward. And, again, as we get into next year, I have no idea what the market's going to do next year. It could be a banner year next year. It could be another sloppy trading year next year. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of risk in the markets from recession risk to credit risk to financial risk. There's also the probability, the possibility that everything's fine. And I just don't have, nobody does, by the way, not just me. Nobody knows what's going to happen six months from now, much less Two months from now. Well, and if somebody's so adamant about knowing exactly what's going to happen, be cautious. And also, you know, you mentioned on like where you get information from. I think that, you know, we we get sucked into a vacuum of social media with all these different information. It's kind of that echo chamber. Um, and, you know, if you're watching one specific area that's always doom and gloom, well, they're probably always going to be doom and gloom. Find somebody who has a different narrative, understand both sides of the argument, and then make an informed decision from there. Um, you know, I, I think that's an important part that many people lack is because we do like we maybe we really like somebody and we say that's all we're going to listen to. And, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. Nobody knows. Well, and also, too, that's a great point, because, you know, we talked about this during the um, during 2020 um, when it was all about AMC and GameStop. And we had all mm -hmm. these young kids that were fresh out of college or not even out of college in a lot of cases. They had YouTube channels. They're talking about buying Bitcoin and AMC and GameStop and all this other stuff. They had no idea what's happening in the financial markets, and they're selling product to you, the viewers. And so everybody's watching these guys. You know, they had tons. They had millions of viewers. Yep. Um, and we had couples coming out and going, "Hey, we just buy stuff because it's going up, and that's how we make our money." And I posted these videos on our, <laughs> you know, on, on articles we wrote. But, you know. It, you know, one of the kind of the telltale things is, is when you're listening to somebody, do they do they manage money, right? Do they have skin in the game? Because if they're just out there talking and they're not actually making, tell, saying things, but they don't actually manage other people's money or, or, or have an investment 
company, whatever. Or have experience. Or have experience. Well, you would have experience if you're managing other people's money. That's the point, Well, but, right? but if mean, you're just, you know, brand new at doing this, I mean, right. I think it's like we get people all the time that ask, you know, hey, how old are you? How, have you been through a recession? What are you doing? You know, I mean, and I think that's important. Yeah, it is. And, and having somebody that understands and has seen that and seen people with struggles and in, in hard economic times and then understanding how yeah. you know financial planning, not only that, but the investment management kind of works together. And, and it's really, I think, is a function of how we work today is because of the experiences we've had in the past. All right. And no, exactly. And that's my point, right? You know, make sure there's credibility behind the guy that's is he is he saying is he telling you stuff just to get views so he gets paid by YouTube? For advertising? Well, that's the problem. More people on YouTube get paid for doing YouTube than actually what they get paid to talk that's about. That's my point. That's the problem. That's my point. So just be careful of who you're getting. And my, my point is ultimately is just be careful who you're getting information from, right? And don't listen to some guy doing the radio show every day. Yeah, that's look just... it up. I'll have a YouTube channel tomorrow, guys. Okay. <laughs> Do you get paid for that? No. Yeah, we know we, we never figured out how to get monetized for ever doing this nah, every day whatever. either. <laughs> so, PSA. Uh, exactly. That's it's all it is. Um, so anyway, you're getting ready to kind of wrap up the show this morning. Dan, anything else that we need to kind of touch on? No, I, I think that, you know, obviously, you know, we talked a little bit about 401k withdrawals or slash loans. I think it's important to understand it's not the best option Credit card debt, you know, obviously at, at a high. That's concerning, especially in the economic environment that we are in. Um, you know, Alan Goolsby, Fed president of the uh, and CEO of the uh, Chicago Fed, just said, "Hey, we may have a golden path where inflation is down, mm-hmm. jobs don't get impacted too much, and we get that soft landing." And it's possible. That is, and because we talked about this yesterday, is that you know we laid off all those, you know, we laid off fifty percent of the workforce during twenty twenty. All we've done is hire those people back. Full-time employment as a percentage of the working age population is actually a little bit lower than it was in 2019. So we may not have a big mat. We may have a recession without having a, a big, we may have a fully employed recession, right? Uh, it, it, it would be kind of weird for that to happen, but because of what we did in 2020, it's kind of messed up the, you know, we don't have it's a lot changed of over- it. it. This time right. is different. Yeah, we don't have a lot of overemployment. We didn't have a period where people were just hiring everybody and we got overstaffed and now you have a big reduction for recession. We kind of just hired everybody back. We laid off and every and companies are mostly running pretty lean and mean. Yeah, but this time is different until it's not. Uh, of course. And so, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how you fix the credit problem. I don't, I don't know how you fix with higher interest rates. How do you fix that? Unless you see massive wage growth, which therefore will cause more inflation, which therefore will cause higher interest but you rates, need, which puts us but in the you problem. you need a massive increase in employment and need much stronger economic growth. And where's that coming from? Correct. Not with this demographic either. Correct. So, I mean, that's the see, this is the problem. And this is the problem with people that tell you they know what's going to happen next year is that. There's so many things that are different this time. And that, look, you know, you always got to be careful. This time is different, right? This time is always different than the last time. No two times are ever the same. Outcomes are often the same, right? But no two times are the same. And this time is different because of 2020 and 2021 and what we did with stimulus and, um, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act and CHIPS Act and these trillions of dollars that we've spent has certainly changed the underlying dynamic. And if anybody tells you they know that the world's going to crash next year and they know that this is going to happen for sure, take it with a grain of salt because nobody knows. I, yeah. So, so you know, we were talking a little bit about Warren Buffett, and so he does one thing that that I admire. I think is is good is that he does say in his in his newsletter or not his newsletter his his annual, annual letter report. 
uh, he writes down his mistakes. And so uh, this state says, if he later thinks he overpaid for an acquisition, he admits it and shares a lesson learned. In his 2014 letter, for example, Buffett wrote that among Berkshire's portfolio of subsidiary companies, there were some poor performers. This was the result of some serious mistakes I made in my job of capital allocation. I was not misled. I was simply wrong in my evaluation of the economic dynamics of the company or the industry in which it operates. And I think this is a prime example mm-hmm. because, you know, we talk about many different things. I mean, we looked at numbers for, you know, bonds, for example. Yep. And everything would suggest that this shouldn't go any further. Rates shouldn't go any further. Then what would happen? We'd have another stimulus package. We'd have something would be extended. Things that are out of the control of the current market situation or economic environment. And that's what makes things so difficult when we're talking about managing money. But yet you can't have, you know, all in on something. And that's that's my point earlier, is that if you're doing so and you minimize those mistakes, where they're not humongous in the sense that it is all of everything, then I think you're gonna be okay. Um, but you gotta understand that that's why we don't get all in and all out either. Yeah, that's no, that's absolutely right. And and again, this is why it's always important to understand about volatility and how much volatility you're taking in your portfolio. You know, are you trying to chase market returns? Or are you trying to grow money over time? And those are two very different things. And it's okay to chase returns. If, you're, if your goal is to beat the market every year, nothing wrong with that. I saw, I saw a TikTok the other day talking about if you can just, you take your money and you invest it, you make 2% a day trading for 280 days a year, which is when the market's open. So every day you just make 2% on your money and you compound that. You start with just a thousand dollars, and in two years you'll have fifteen million dollars. Wait bank a account. second, just two percent. Two percent a day. A day. Make two percent every day and compound it. Never take any money out. That's that's all you got to do. Fifteen million dollars in two years. What am I doing? Why am I working this hard? I don't know. Just you know, just go make two percent a day. It's easy. Apparently. All right. Only buy what goes up. Yeah, exactly. So you know, he, he's on TikTok by the way. So if you want to go follow him, you, you can and. I'm sure you'd appreciate the advertising revenue from you. Just make 2% a day. No big deal. Perfect. All right. <laughs> that wraps up the show for today. Danny, thanks so much. Uh, we'll be back uh, tomorrow with Michael Leibowitz. Uh, had a lot of Fed speakers this week. So we'll get into some of the stuff that they said and what that potentially implies for yields and the economy and markets uh, heading into the end of the year. Uh, we'll see you then on the next edition of the Real Investment Show tomorrow. Be sure and get by the website today. Michael Leibowitz's new article is out now on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. See you tomorrow.